0: We thank You that Your Word, the written Word, points to You, the living Word, the One who came down and died and rose from the dead so we could have life. We praise You this day. We ask, Holy Spirit, You'd help us to understand what we need to hear, personally and corporately. Give us ears to hear, God. Remove the distractions from our mind. We just pray that, Holy Spirit, You'd have free reign in our midst. In these moments ahead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Many years ago, Cindy and I took a vacation, got in our little Cavalier, and headed down to Kentucky and Tennessee. Neither one of us had ever been there. And so, maybe like you, we grab a travel guide. Because they'll tell us some sites you need to see and some that you probably don't want to. But at least you know what's there. And so, on the way down, we're reading through all this. And, and one of the things that the guide said is there's this place called Foster Falls it showed a picture of a waterfall, and it was beautiful, and it was a park, and, and we're like, this, this looks great. We like waterfalls, and it looks like a very peaceful, tranquil place, and so let's find Foster Falls. It was hard to find Foster Falls. Darn near impossible to find Foster Falls. We wanted to go to what the guide says, one of the top sites in the area, we wanted to go experience this peaceful place. We wanted to go, which was encouraged. All tourists need to stop at Foster Falls. And as we sought it out, our mission to find this became hindered. It was hindered for a couple reasons. One was a lack of clarity. You see, the brochure write up was very general in details. It was beautiful. They had a couple pictures, there just wasn't a lot more. So there's a lack of clarity. There are poor directions. It was on this highway, pretty much all you had to go on. It wasn't much more. So it had poor directions, how to get there was vague. If that's not bad enough, you had a lack of clarity, you had poor directions, you also had a lack of enthusiasm because it was no longer promoted. You see, we found a park ranger at a different park, asked him about Foster Falls, this beautiful park, he had no idea where it was. He says, I think there's a couple miles there's a place, I don't know if that's the name of it or not, So we drove, and we think we found it. We walked through this trail, which is kind of overgrown a little bit, but at this point, you're on a mission. I mean, you've committed time, energy. We're going to find this thing if it's the last thing we do. And we weaved through all this, and there it was. And it was gorgeous. little waterfall, peaceful, but it wasn't taken care of anymore. It was just kind of, unfortunately, a beautiful place that had been neglected. Neglected, and the problem with it, the problem that hindered our Mission, again, was lack of clarity, poor directions and lack of enthusiasm. I'm convinced those are really the three reasons that mission gets hindered. Lack of clarity. What, what are we supposed to do? Poor directions. How are we going to accomplish this? Lack of enthusiasm. Just don't really care. We're wrapped up in other details of life. You see, mission clarity is essential. There needs to be a direction laid out about where we're supposed to go in our lives personally and corporately as a church. And certainly we need, a lack of, we need energy, we need enthusiasm. After all, we serve the King of Kings. And so there should be a little motivation in us, a little gas in the tank to carry out our mission. Matthew 28, among other texts, Luke 24, 47 to 49, Mark 16 to 15, John 20. 21 acts 1 8 all speak to the importance of our mission our job is not to create a mission it's to discover it because jesus already gave it to us and we discover it in scripture because mission answers an important question why am i here why did god bring me leave me on earth why didn't god just redeem me and boom take me to heaven you ever wonder that sometimes you're like i wish he would (laughs) have but he hasn't he's left you here why did he leave us here There's a reason. We need to consider it. And what are we supposed to do since He left here? And we read in Scripture that Jesus predetermined the mission of the church. And He designed His people to survive and thrive in any economy, any political system, any social environment. You see, no, no entity, no group was ever called to be and designed to be the most missional, effective endeavor on the face of the earth is the church. You ever think about that? God designed us to be the most missional endeavor in the world. On the face of the earth. Matter of fact, if nothing else did the Lord ever say, in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Against His people, against His church, as we carry out His mission. So let's look at this mission. Matthew 28. Jesus articulated this church's mission when He met His followers in Galilee after the resurrection. Now there's three groups of people here. We need to consider the eleven disciples. Remember, Judas is no longer there. And then we're told in 1 Corinthians fifteen six, more than five hundred brethren are there. In this third group, to this all important meeting, matter of fact, it's the only scheduled meeting we read about. This third group is all believers from the moment and time that Jesus comes until the day that Jesus comes again. You say, how do we know this? Because Jesus said in His commission is in effect to the end of the age. And since the end of the age hasn't come yet, we're invited. So let's take a walk up to this hill and see what Jesus calls us to. This isn't just the disciples and the early church's mission. This is ours. His first words are indispensable. Matthew 20, or 28, 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Matt's standard translation says, I'm in charge, is what Jesus is saying. I call the shots. And the word for authority, the word Jesus uses is authority in legitimate hands. It's all legitimate authority. We may look around right now and we look at all of Satan's doing in the demonic realm and he's got a big stick, but God says, i got the badge. He might carry a big stick, but I'm all, only legitimate authority. He is in first place in all things, Colossians 1 says. He's not only charge of the universe, but He's rightfully in charge of the universe. All authority has been given to Him. So in case you're wondering who Jesus thinks He is to give the mission, He says, all authority has been given to Me. I'm the one giving the mission. Not just anybody. And so He gives it. And Jesus Christ is the one who predetermined the mission. So if we want to be obedient Christian... If we want to be an obedient church, we need to be mission-driven. It should be clear in our lives, it should be clear in our ministry, what gets a priority. We have packaged it, for lack of a better word, the Great Commission, this way. Elam Mission exists for the purpose of helping people come to know Christ, grow in their faith, and become engaged in ministry. Those three things. You could say no, grow, and engage. Engage. And you'd probably have a pretty good summary. As a matter of fact, our softball team had them shirts. You should wear them next week. Well, all stand out nice and bright. And that's what they said on the back. It reminded us what our mission is. But the mission's focus. Let's look at that. It's helping people, is what we say. It's helping people. Jesus called his disciples to go, or Jesus calls disciples to go make disciples, make people. Don't put on programs necessarily. Go make disciples. It's, it's a mission toward people. Matter of fact, Jesus modeled this perfectly for us. If you were to look at Luke 5 and 6, he calls people into relationship with himself. He calls people to follow him. Because when all is said and done, Christianity is a relationship. It's about a relationship with Christ. It's not a religion. It's about a lot of way, way to work your way to God. It's that God came down and made a relationship with him possible. And so, first and foremost, Jesus models for us that He called people into relationship. Luke 7 and 8 tells us Jesus provided opportunities for them to grow. To build into their faith. Specifically, He designed circumstances and teaching that would help them grow. And then Luke 9, He entrusts ministry to His disciples bit by bit. So it's not only that He called them into relationship and that He was building their faith, but He also sent them. That's really our model of our mission statement is Luke. <laughs> those five statements on all of Jesus' ministry. And they were to go, as a, called on a mission, to reach lost people who were outside the faith. To call them to the Savior, and those who responded to build, help them grow in their faith so that they might be sent to carry out the mission they were called to. And that's the model Jesus left. Let's start with the first part of the missions focused. We want to help people know Christ. Two questions come up. A, what does this mean? And two, how do we do it? I'm glad you asked, because the Scripture answers. If you go to the book of John 1, to me this, this is so helpful. The Scriptures give us such practical ways of doing this. John one 40 through 40-42. John the Baptist has introduced Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lamb of God. There's some disciples who were with John, and Jesus said, there he is, you will go follow him. And so they did. They got to check out what Jesus was like, what he said, and who he was. We're reading verse 40 of John 1. One of the two who had heard John speak followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon, he said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. It's a simple invitation. Come see what I've discovered. You see, that's how we help people know Christ. We say, come see what I've discovered. It's sharing your testimony. It might be a circumstance in your life. It's saying, you need to come see. You need to come hear what I've experienced, what God's done in my life. It's a simple invitation. that We help people know Christ when we invite them. But there's more. Verse 40 through 44-46, through 46. Now Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael. Notice he went and looked for him. He found him. He said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now Nathanael says to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Notice what Philip does. He doesn't debate them. He doesn't argue. He says, well, come check it out. Come. See for yourself. Simple invitation. Nothing extravagant. Just, I invite you to come see Jesus. Or I invite you to come hear His claims. I invite you to read the Scriptures and see what He said. We help people come to know Christ by inviting them. In Acts 8, Philip, led by the Spirit, helps a man understand Scripture. And how it pointed to Jesus. He helped that man to know Christ by helping him understand Scripture. There's another way. We help people know Christ. Pointing them to the Scriptures. Maybe helping them understand what God has shown us. Acts 1.8 Jesus says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, start next door and then work your way out. You shall be my witnesses. Witnesses witness. Witnesses testify to something. In our case as Christians, we testify to the reality of Jesus Christ in our life. We've been sent to help people know Christ, beginning in our communities. You see, we can't make disciples out of unregenerate people. People must come to the cross and trust Christ as their Savior to begin to follow Him for us to help them follow Him. It's hard to help someone follow Him if they're not a follower. (laughs) That gets difficult. We need to bring Him to the cross first because that's where it all starts. Romans 10, 13-15 give us a little bit more instruction of how you and I can help people know Christ. It seems sometimes we make evangelism really hard. Listen to these words. I love them. Romans 10, 13-15. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The question comes up. Then How then shall they call upon Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings of good things. What's his point? They need to hear. There's a quote a while ago. I actually don't like it. Too much. You may like it, and I'll explain myself. It says, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. The reason I don't like it is because it's not if necessary, it is necessary to use words. Sometimes we adopt the mindset that if somebody just looks in our life and they say, hey, there's something different about their life, that they'll figure it out. They'll say, oh, there's something different about their life. I must need a Savior because I'm a hell-deserving sinner. I must come to the cross to be saved. Do you think they come to that conclusion right away? No, all you've done is whet their appetite. They need to hear the Gospel. And they need you to tell them. Because it's part of our mission. is to help people know Christ. You're like, oh man, I, I didn't seal the deal that time. I mean, they didn't, they didn't come to prayer. They didn't come to faith in Christ. In John 4, there's a remarkable encounter. You should read it. Jesus is talking with a woman at the well, which is a strange encounter already. The middle of the day, nobody does that. And Jesus begins to talk with her using simple questions. In each case, it seems he begins to remove obstacles between her and God. Maybe you don't realize, but sometimes our witness is removing one or two obstacles between a person and Christ. You might not be the one there when they finally recognize their need for a Savior and come to Christ. But don't think for a minute that your witness wasn't effective. Sometimes it's as simple as us removing obstacles between them and Christ. And I don't know what those obstacles would be. I worked with a man named Lewis when I worked in a veneer factory years ago. And, uh, and Lewis was, one, he was very inquisitive, and I shared my faith with him, and, and he would ask all kinds of these questions. And a lot of them dealt with creation. He said, Matt, what do you think of dinosaurs? God create dinosaurs? How come there's not dinosaurs anymore, Matt? He has stuff like that. How come there's evil in the world? If God is so good, if God saves people, why doesn't He save those people who are, who are hurting? And, and, and the typical questions we would think about or people would ask us. And he kept asking and asking and asking. and It got frustrating. I'm like, man, I'm trying the best I could. Go home and I'm studying, trying to answer the best I could. And, and I finally came to realize that I might not have been the one I don't know where Lewis is. I hope he came to faith. But maybe my role was just to remove some obstacles. So don't think you're a failure because you don't always lead someone in prayer to trust Christ as Savior. We're called to a mission and we need to be faithful and let God take care of that. And sometimes it's as simple as just walking across the room. Might be at a gathering, might be in the cafeteria. And your mission, your call that day might just be to walk across the room. Matter of fact, it's my advice to those who consider the mission field is if you haven't walked next door, don't take a plane across the ocean. Because your mission starts at home. That's where it starts for you and I. And you might think, well, I'm not having a great impact by the, like those in the third world countries and over there. But God's called you here. Go next door. Walk across the room. Go down the block. Stop in the laundry detergent aisle at the marketplace. Because there might be someone there who needs to talk. Because our mission is to help people know Christ. You ever consider, why do you live where you do? Why do you work where you work? Why are you in school where you are? Why are you in a Lions club? Why are you on that board? Why are you on that committee? You see, your primary reason is to represent Christ. It's to be His witness. No matter how much you make, no matter the position you have, no matter grades you get in school, if you're not helping people know Christ, God says you're not really a success. That's kind of hard. That flies in the face of our culture, doesn't it? Because we're told success means accomplishing more and getting a better title, and God says, oh, that's not it. Be faithful to what I've called you to do. That's what God says is Success. So be faithful where He's planted you, where you live, the classmates around you. Be faithful to the mission you're called to. And let me say to teenagers right now, don't zero me out. God's called you where He's called you to sit next to the people you sit next to, to go to the cafeteria at lunch with the people you do. Why? Because He's got a mission for you. Your job's not just to go get an education. It's to represent Jesus Christ so that when your peers see you walking the hallway, they say, hey, there's something different about that person that you can all of a sudden share who's made the difference. We're not just called to be teachers and lawyers and business people. We're called to be teachers who have Christ in them. To represent Christ so people would see what Jesus looked like if He taught a class. Or to see what Jesus would look like if He ran a business. That's our mission. We're called to make Christ known. He said, "Boy, I wish I had some resources to help me." Oh yeah, we do. We have the Holy Spirit. That's as good as it gets. He d- indwells all believers. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in the end of Matthew, He said, "Sometimes you're going to be brought before uh, courts and before people and leaders." He said, "Don't worry about what to say. In that moment, my Holy Spirit will give you what to say." How good is that? Our job: walk across the room and open our mouth, and let Holy Spirit take over. But if we don't walk across the room and if we don't open our mouth, if we don't go next door, we miss opportunities for God to use us. So don't get bent out of shape if you don't have the perfect words. The Holy Spirit will speak far better than you ever could. We also have the Word of God, which, by the way, is living and active. You say, what if they don't believe it? That doesn't negate the fact that this Word is still living and active. It's still sharper than any double-edged sword. It was great the Gideons invited the pastors for breakfast, and I was reminded of that. As I sit and listen to their heart and their ministry, they get it. They put Bibles in hotels. Why? Because they believe the Word of God's living and active, and for a person, a businessman or a person in the motel who picks that up, the potential for God's spirit to grip their heart and to take the knife of scripture and to cut and to reveal to them. We have prayer. God rejoices to answer prayers, especially those kind. We have a transformed life. Your life has a redeeming quality and attraction about it. Maybe that's why we're called salt and light. There's something attractive about a Christian walking in obedience to Christ. And there's something I want to mention that is often overlooked. Part of our witness is what we as a church are before a watching world. matter of fact, Jesus prayed for unity. One of the reasons he prayed for unity is that the world may know the reality of Christ in us. That's why it's so hard when we hear a church split. And the effect it has, a negative effect on a community. And that's why Paul says make every effort, not some, not a couple, every effort to build the spirit of the unity in the bond of peace. Why? Because our unity is part of our evangelistic effort. I love Bill Hybels. He has an equation in his book, Contagious Christian. He says HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. And he unpacks it. HP stands for high potency. Or a a life lived in obedience is vibrant life. You see, you can't run with the crowds, adapt to the culture, and expect to have an impact. Christian's life is different. High potency. CP equals close proximity. It's getting in people's lives. Getting maybe dirty. Helping helping serve them. Dirty not in sin, but dirty is in, in helping serve people plus cc equals clear communication. To be able to clearly communicate. The result of that equation is maximum impact. I like that. High potency of a transformed life, well lived. Close proximity, clear communication equals maximum impact. Pretty good equation. He's getting at it because our mission is to help people know Christ. You might say, well, I can't talk like that or I I can't. I don't know the Bible well enough. I'll leave that up to somebody else in the church. It begs the question, can we be corporately what we are not individually? Can we be corporately as a church what we are not personally? It's an important question. I don't think we can. So if we want to have a maximum impact as a church, you're needed. Every believer in here is needed. Where God's planted you for us to have a maximum impact as a church because part of our mission is to help people know Christ, but that's not the only part of it. Part of our mission also is to help people grow in the faith. Jesus said, Make disciples. Questions What's a disciple? A disciple, in the context of New Testament times, was one who began to follow a rabbi. And he followed the rabbi and did two primary things. And to me, this is such a perfect description of a disciple to learn what he needed to know and how to apply it, and then to follow the model of the rabbi. So what's a follower of Jesus? What's a disciple of Jesus? We come to learn what we know, need to know, and how to apply it, and we follow the model of our Savior. That's a disciple. A follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus addressed this in Luke 9.23. And we need to bring it up lest we get a false idea of discipleship. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. How's that a selling point? Jesus said, Hey, you want to follow? I'm going to get a bunch of followers together, and you know what? You're going to need to die to yourself. Well, that starts cutting the crowd. Matter of fact, there's a case in John 6 where a bunch of people are following Jesus, and Jesus is teaching a hard teaching, and some of the disciples left and said, This is a hard teaching. And they no longer followed him. You see, following Jesus isn't always easy. It takes commitment and it takes sacrifice. You see, on Sundays, even right now, all across this nation, Jesus has a lot of fans. There are a lot of people rah-rah in Jesus. They're singing loud. They might be clapping. They might be going to Sunday school. There's a lot of fans, but what our king wants to know, are there any followers? There's a big difference between being a fan and a follower. We are called and our mission is to build followers, not fans. That's why we don't want to just get a big gathering just for the sake of a big gathering because that's not what we're called to do. We're called to build disciples and some people are going to say, as they count the cost, I don't want to do it. But better us put forth what it really means to follow Jesus and to sugarcoat it so we just get numbers. Or check off a list and say, there, they're good to go. No, we're called to make disciples and we're called to make sure that we lay it out. Because really, a disciple's a person who's decided that following Jesus will take precedence over everything else in life. And disciples aren't hard to spot. You see, they're the ones paying the price for the kingdom. They're the ones committing. They're the ones who's made it a priority in their life. And while we're at different places in our following Jesus, there are elements of discipleship we all need to engage in. Back to Matthew 28. A little grammar. Refresh. Kids, you're loving this. Here you got a few days off of school, but we're gonna ease you back into it. Okay? A little grammar from Matthew 28. If you look at verse 19, there's an imperative given a command. Go. Go. That's the imperative. But what follows it are three participles which explain how to carry out the imperative. And so as we're like, go, make disciples, what are we supposed to do? How do we do it? Jesus gives three participles to help us understand how to carry out the imperative, which is go. And it is imperative. It's, not, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus didn't say, hey, if you feel like it on Tuesday, why don't you go make some disciples? No, go. And whether you speak Syrian, Arabic, Greek, or Hebrew, go means go. It means don't stay. It means move. It means go. It's an imperative. It's a command. And what are these three parts, uh, participles? The command, make disciples. The participles go, baptize, and teach. Let's unpack the first one, going. It means going. Where? To all nations. Start next door, Acts 1-8, near Jerusalem, in your Dassel, and your Cocado, and your Har Lake. Start there. And then begin to expand your impact. And sometimes we expand our impact with partnering with uh, Scott Sunblad or the Sunblads or, 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 or Westmans or our Polish friends who've come ministered to us. And that's how we can expand it to the nations. We always need to be a part of extending overseas. But we need to begin at home. And to do that, we need to go. Might be out of your comfort zone. Might be against what you had planned that day. You might be headed somewhere and you get a flat tire. Like I did not have this plan. Maybe, just maybe, God's arranging something. So we always got to have our antenna up. Go. It's how we make disciples. Two, baptizing. Now you think, why is this included? I mean, what's this got to do with maturity and growing as a disciple? Well, there's several reasons. One is it's public in nature. You got to stand up and say, "I'm a disciple." I've counted the cost. I'm a follower. Kind of begin to separate between those who maybe say they're Christians by certain activities, and there's others who say, no, I want you to know publicly. I'm taking this to the street. I'm a follower. It's an important act, important step. Also, we know from Romans and other passages that it symbolizes a relationship with Christ. Going under the water, I'm dead to sin. Alive, I'm alive to God. I'm a new creation. Very symbolic and its rich in its symbolism. But there's a third thing. Identification with the body of Christ. It's part we kind of lost sight of in the Western world. Back then in the early church, when someone was saved, they didn't think about whether they should be baptized. They didn't think about, well, maybe, maybe I feel like it, I don't know. They got baptized. One of the reasons is the rest of the body needed to know that they were a believer. Because they were in great persecution. They couldn't let unbelievers infiltrate them. And threaten them, and obviously because of the persecution, there was a great threat. They needed to know who was really a believer. Baptism was one of those ways. I've heard this, this thought, can I be a believer and not be baptized? Yes, but you can't be an obedient one. Because you've been called to be baptized. It's part of what it is to follow Jesus. Baptism is a call to commitment. You see, helping others grow means we help them call to be fully devoted followers. Helping people grow means we call them to obedience. We call them to take steps of obedience. We don't excuse it. We don't beat them up. But we nurture them and help them. Sometimes grab their hand and say, come on, I'll help you. But we help people grow by helping them to become obedient. There's a lot of discussion. I read an article two weeks ago about a church that was trying to figure out how to handle membership. And, and one of their thoughts they had was, well, if somebody's baptized, then automatically they can become a member. And, and so it's just interesting reading and what other churches do. And um, being a Christian for a lot of years, I've had a lot of people say, well, I, I don't need to become a member. That's not a big deal. Well, I kind of look at it this way baptism's a call to commitment, membership's a call to mission. Membership says, I'm part of this team. That's going to carry out what God's called us to do in this area. And as a church begins to think about what we need to do where God's leading us, one of the things that you begin to count on is, who's committed to the mission and how else would you know unless someone said, you know what, count me and I'm in the game. And they make a step of a membership. To me, it's pretty practical. I mean, it's a, it's a logical way. And so if you wonder about membership, consider it's a call to mission. It's a commitment to the mission. You shouldn't pretend being a member and not pursue the mission. Nor you shouldn't hide behind non-membership as a reason not to become part of the mission. You and I are called to become part of a mission. Part of the mission is helping people grow in their faith. Which is why the third participle is so significant. Teaching. All I've commanded you. In other words, what's in God's Word? That's what Jesus is talking about. The curriculum of discipleship is the Bible. The Bible. You see, a new believer doesn't know what he needs to grow. He doesn't know. A baby's not born and all of a sudden starts pointing to to milk or to Gerber's food. They don't know. You've got to help them. And one of the ways we help them is to point them to Scripture. To help them learn how to study it and to read it. And to understand what it says. And while we're all at different places in our walk, we're all to be maturing and growing in our faith. In fact, Paul... And some of his co-laborers said in 2 Corinthians 13.9, This we pray that you may become mature. That was his prayer. That you'd mature, that you'd grow in your faith. And what do you need to grow? You need obviously the Bible. You need consistent time in the Bible. You need consistent time in prayer. After all, prayer is communication. As Jay was kind of alluding to when he read that psalm, it's probably more listening than talking. Prayer. You need it. You need consistent fellowship. Why? Because to grow, you need an incubator. You know what an incubator is when you get baby chicks that hatch, they have a warm environment in which to grow? That's the church. That's the local church. It's your environment, it's my environment in which maturity and growth takes place. You need to be part of a fellowship. If you're visiting here, I want to exhort you to go back to where you're from and plug yourself in to a body-believing church, a Bible-believing and teaching church. And when I say if you're visiting here, like from a different location, if you're around here, come back, please. Okay? We want you back. I didn't mean it that way. Um, also, we need consistent witness. You see, engagement in the mission brings growth. All these are necessary ingredients. That's why you see Elam committed to those things Scripture, prayer, fellowship, worship, and witness. We're strongly committed to those things because they help, they're what helps you and I grow. We need to help people become engaged in ministry. Ephesians 4 and Romans 12, which I don't have time to read right now, all point to the fact that we have gifts. The Spirit's given us gifts to use, to build the body, and to serve one another. And Scripture is abundantly clear as a believer, you're called to serve. Every believer here has incredible potential to impact the kingdom of God. Every believer. Maturing believers are ministering believers. So discover your gifts. Use your gifts. If you don't know how to discover come see me. I'll gladly help you walk through that. Apply your gifts, apply your passions, apply your experiences. Where are you serving God? To whom are you ministering and to who are you loving on? A non-engaged Christian is a contradiction in terms. A non-ministering Christian is a contradiction there was never, we are never designed to be such a thing. We are all called to serve. Serving God's to be a way of life. It's not just simply, simply something we do. It's who we are. We're servants. We serve. We serve our re- risen King. And to serve, you need to engage in people's lives. Engage in ministry. And ministry is simply ministering to people. Serving people. We need to become engaged in that. We need to live with a mindset that there's no accidents. That we daily evaluate what God's doing in our life and who maybe we could serve in that moment, in that time. To consider what that serving might look like. We are called, as part of our mission, to help people to know, grow, and engage. We need to remember, first of all, Elam is God's church. He's the head. He's the mission setter. And our head calls us, His body, to carry out that mission. Thus the mission's challenge. How does this all relate to you and I? One go. Don't just be a fan. Be a follower. Go follow his teaching. Go follow Christ's model. After all, it's probably the goal of discipleships to become more Christ like. Follow his model and go answer his call to make him known. To go into the world around you and tell him of Christ. Our primary mission field at, at, for Elam is Cocado, Dassel, and Howard Lake. It's our primary mission field. doesn't mean, obviously, we extend out, but we begin there. We need to begin there. It's who we're called to. And it might, God might not give us answers all the time. God might not explain why things are going like they're going, but it doesn't negate the fact we're all called to go. We're also called to grow. Where are you plugged into growth opportunities? Are you personally reading Scripture? Are you applying what you're reading? Are you committed to growth? There's some great opportunities. I've been so excited on Wednesday night to see the amount of men coming to that men's class and women going to the women's class. There's some good stuff going on. Thank you to their teachers for doing that. I know Oasis is having a big impact in our kids' lives. I commend these people because they're taking a step to grow. Some are picking up Bible studies in the middle of the week or community groups, which is a huge, huge thing, huge step for growing. You're committed to growth, and that's what disciples do. So continue to grow. You might be a Christian for 60 years and think, I've heard it all. Oh, no. There's a lot more we need to hear, and there's always areas to grow in. Don't ever become content. And three, serve. Where are you using your gifts? Who are you serving? Where are you serving? Important questions. Commit to discover the gifts you have. and God's designed for you to use them. And start there. There's many unique ways to serve God. Who can you bless this day? Back to Foster Falls. We found it. We pressed on to experience the site. It was small. It was peaceful. But it had been neglected. It forgotten and set aside, resulting in it was no longer experienced by all it had offered. It's no longer seen as valuable. It no longer had the impact on people that it could have, like it did us. Let us never neglect the main thing we are called to. What we're supposed to be doing. Let us not forget, or set aside, the mission we're called to. Because we've been given a mission to us by the risen Lord. And let us experience the power of God in our midst as we pursue the mission and we impact lives for eternity. Let's pray. Lord, even as I study and read, I get convicted because I begin to realize how many opportunities I've missed. How off-center my life can get at times. And maybe I'm not alone. Maybe my brothers and sisters, even this very moment, consider life and say it's way out of whack. I've prioritized too strongly things that really, in the scope of eternity, don't matter. We've given credence too often to our hobbies. And Lord, they become so important that we forgot that, in the scope of them hobbies, we're supposed to be doing something, that there's a mission even more important than the actual activity. Lord, we've forgotten the marketplace when we go to work that that's not our primary job to earn a paycheck. But Lord, to carry out the mission you've called us to. And one day we'll answer for it. And I know I, my brothers and sisters would agree with me, we long on that day to hear our Savior said, Well done. You pursued the mission well. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Might that God be said of all of us. to your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.
1: I can invite you to stand. Let's have fun with this one. Ask the Lord to build his kingdom here through us. Amen. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in our sweet pray until why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade.
2: Certainly, I uh, had his way. I think I feel through the words that you shared with us today, and I, I'm I'm left here to um, to pray for this congregation as we've as we uh, consider that message. It it begs the question: What is our our, our global perspective on discipleship on the Great Commission? You know, Matt challenged us with, locally, right here, next door. How are we being? How are we being used? You know, at Elam, one of our core values is the global and out, local outreach. Um, the Bible teaches that God loves everyone and wants all to have eternal life. Therefore we will actively participate in evangelism through prayer, finances, ministry and outreach efforts to all ages throughout our world. That's one of our core values. But I'm I'm certainly convicted today that oftentimes we come away from a message like this and we find ourselves that we're fans. We're we're just fans. We get Moved and we have a spiritual high as we listen to a message like that, but we're not challenged in our hearts and we're not obedient to what God has called us to be. So we need to be followers. Followers follow. And so the challenge, I think, as Matt has shared, and I want to pray for us as a congregation, as... You know, as elders, we want to be a part of shepherding this congregation. And we want to we help you. We want to come alongside you. We want to be what we need to be. Um, and we certainly want to be obedient to what God has, has called us to as elders. So I want to pray for you. Pastor Daniel from Poland challenged us last week to... The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And as Matt has challenged us today, we've been called to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So let's bring this to the Lord for prayer today. God, we come today...